So we make as much of an effort to make sure all of our discretionary spending aligns with what truly matters to us. And that if it doesn't, we try not to spend on it as much as possible. You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, Annie here together with the incredible Julie Lamb. And today we have such an incredible episode and conversation for you. We're featuring two amazing ladies, Jen Smith and Jill Siriani. They are the co-hosts of the Frugal Friends podcast. I dare you to say that three times fast. Frugal Friends, Frugal Friends, right? But they are here to talk about all things related to money, mindset, and frugality related not just to money, but to all aspects of our lives. They really have an interesting perspective, what it means to live a frugal life. And I think it's in many ways very much in line with what Julie and I always talk about in terms of creating that life by design. It's not always about balance as they talk about on this show. It's not about having perfect balance in every aspect of your life. It's not necessarily about budgeting. It's not about couponing, (laughs) but it's really about seeing your money, your time, your energy, all these aspects of your life as different resources that you can sort of tweak here and there based on your values. And that's really what Jen and Jill talk about on the show is how everything comes back to your values and are the decisions you're making in your life related to how you're spending your money, how you're spending your time. Do they come back to in alignment with the values that you set forth? And I think a lot of times when you're spending or the time crunches that you have lead you away from your values, that's when you have the stress and the conflicts is when you know somewhere deep down, maybe not surface level, but somewhere deep down, you realize, oh, wait a second, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. And that's a big part of what Jen and Jill talk about on the show. And they have such, each of them has such a distinctive and interesting story of how they got to where they are today from different, just like Julie and I have different backgrounds and we came together and this magic happened and we we realized not only were we great friends and had great chemistry, but also had complementary skill sets and a certain something that just drew us together. And you'll find the same magic between Jen and Jill as they talk about their story, how they came together, why they created the Frugal Friends podcast, which by the way, has over 200 episodes and over 2.5 million downloads. So So this isn't just some small podcast. This is a big deal. And they've had lots and lots of conversations about frugal living and what that means. And so no matter what you're thinking right now about that term frugal or frugality, I guarantee that through listening to this conversation, your mindset and your definition of frugality will likely change and broaden and help you to see a more holistic view of what frugality means and how it can fit into your life to make it fuller and richer. 
All right. So before we get into the episode itself, I want to talk a little bit about what we specialize in at Good Egg Investments, which as many of you know, is real estate syndications. And it fits in very nicely actually with living a frugal life because it's part of what helps you to create passive income and wealth for your family, for the future, if you want to retire early, many of the things that Jen and Jill talk about. And so if you're new or just getting into the space of syndications and passive investing and trying to figure out what it's all about and whether it's right for you, we have the perfect resource to get you started. And it is our book. It's called Investing for Good. And it's called Investing for Good because we talk about why it's such a win-win. You as the investor win because you're making making great returns on your money, especially these days when there's sky high inflation and rising interest rates, you need a good safe place to put your money and a place that will grow your money beyond the rates of rates of inflation. And so it's a win for the investors. It's also a win for these communities that we're investing in, where we're going in and really adding value and revitalizing a lot of these communities, some of which have older kitchens, older flooring. They maybe hasn't been touched in decades. And it's a win for us as well here at Good Egg Investments and the Life and Money Show because we get to continue doing things like this and bringing great conversations like this one to all of you. And we continue to make an impact and to support nonprofit organizations through our Good Egg Gives program and to connect with the families of our investors through Money Wise Kids and so much more. And so syndications and passive investing, it's such a huge passion of ours because it's such a win-win, which is so rare in today's world. But like I said, grab a copy of our book if you haven't already. It's called Investing for Good, and you can get your free hardcover copy at goodegginvestments.com slash book. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Jen Smith and Jill Sirianni. Jen and Jill, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing so well. Thanks for having us here. Thank you. Thrilled to talk to you both. Always love having powerful, successful women on the podcast. Now, as the co-hosts of the top-rated Frugal Friends podcast with over 200 episodes and more than an astonishing 2.5 million downloads, you ladies are changing the way the world thinks about money and frugality. Now, Jill, I want to start with you first. I know you have a background as a licensed clinical social worker, so tell us a little bit about sort of what led you into that field and then how that then led to your interest in the relationship that people have with money. Absolutely. It took me a long time to pick social work. Honestly, I think a lot of people can commiserate with being in college. And unless you knew your path since five years old, it's one of those, I don't know, I'm undeclared, but really wanting to help other people and wanting a career where I could do that. And many people want purpose-filled roles and jobs. And we can find purpose and I believe whatever we set our hands to. But for me, I really was drawn to the world of social work, being able to work one-on-one or sometimes in groups with folks on a variety of 
issues related to whatever they might be facing as a whole person. And I would say then the intersection of social work and mental health with where I now find myself in podcasting in the finance world has a couple of crossovers, both for me personally and what I've seen in the lives of other people. So to speak from my own perspective first, I think certainly having come from this kind of nonprofit world, I am very familiar with not earning a whole lot of money or seeing people, colleagues having high earning potential, I've come to realize that there's still room to grow no matter what field you're in and you don't have to stay locked into that. But I think some of my own personal finance journey is related to low income, needing to be creative, DIY a lot of things, including living in an RV to help pay for my master's degree. It's part of how I met Jen. And we connected and bonded over paying down debt and not wanting to get into further debt. So it already was a bit of my life story. And then I think as my own awareness and journey grew, I started to see the need in other people as well. My clients talking with other people within the finance world of, hey, there's more to this. It's not just about tangible tips of budgeting. We are whole people where our financial lives, our relational selves, our mental health, our physical health all intersects and bears weight on each other. And as I sat with couples in the clinical world, seeing so much relating and revolving around money, how we talk about money, how we approach money, stories, background, childhood experiences. And so there's so much intersection here. I think I could probably go on and on, but ultimately it boils down to firsthand experience, observing it in other people, and really seeing a nice blend in not just being able to help people in the clinical therapeutic office, but also through podcasts like this, we take in information and we receive community and help in a variety of ways. So the crossover was quite organic in a lot of ways. I'm still in a helping profession, even podcasting. Yeah. And it's so true right now. I'm so glad you said that about the whole person and the holistic view of it, because I think so often people think, oh, well, I'm going to put my blenders and I'm going to focus on budgeting. Then I'm going to focus on this piece and investing in this, right? But we don't see how money really runs as an undercurrent in our daily lives. And it's really pervasive through so many of our relationships, as you mentioned, so many aspects of our lives. And it can be such a big stressor, especially when you feel like you don't have enough of it, or maybe you feel like, well, you get the opportunity to be creative, like you were mentioning. So yeah, I definitely can see how you were open to where it was taking you and you've found this theme of money running through all these conversations that you were having. Well, yeah, we're not going to be able to do better with money or our behaviors around it unless we're willing to look at some of these deeper themes in our lives, which will often touch on mental health, relational health, previous experiences. And so you can't get too far within the financial world without looking at our whole person. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And Jen, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about your background, because you kind of come from a different angle from the financial journalism angle. So tell us a little bit about how you got into that field, and then eventually how you and Jill met. Yeah, so I think 
the reason that I built a passion for financial journalism or financial writing is because my background is not in anything financial. I got my master's in acupuncture and I was practicing that for many years. That took on a lot of debt. (laughs) And so When I got married in 2015, my new husband wanted to pay off his student loans and he encouraged me to work on mine as well. And I was not interested in it. I thought that budgeting and getting your just managing money in general, then you had to like give up the things that you cared about most. I thought that's especially doing something as big as we had $78,000 in debt between the two of us. And so I didn't want to live the quote unquote best years of my life under a rock is what I said. And I really thought that's what like becoming financially stable would entail. And so I wasn't interested, but he really encouraged me to see that if we sacrifice for five years now in our 20s, late 20s, early 30s, that how much easier the next 30, 40, 50 years could be. And so that, and I have a lot of big dreams. I'm an achiever. There are so many things I want to do. And kind of him speaking to my core values, him speaking to my like desires and my personality traits that he knew was were important to me is what got me on board with that. And so I was about a year into this debt payoff and I was as miserable as I thought I would be. And I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I was as miserable as I thought I would be because I have a very all or nothing personality. And I really thought, again, I was a year in, I really believed you had to give up everything in order to like meet a big goal like that. And so that's what I did. Okay. So paint the picture for us. Is this like miserable? You're like ramen noodles, like pinching pennies with the coupon. Mm-hmm. Were you the coupon lady at the store? Like what did your life look like back then? So I wasn't the coupon lady, but it was cutting out like every single expense. And even to the extent of if I had something budgeted that was like almost treating myself, I felt guilty spending that budgeted money. And so that's how extreme it was. And it was unhealthy. I didn't know it until years later. But it was around that time where I thought, if I could help people know that they can make it, help them make it through this sort of thing, then that will make me feel better about my situation. And it did. And so that's how I started writing about personal finance. I very quickly was able to get freelance jobs and eventually a full-time job reporting. And I eventually switched to that full-time. And it was in that writing in interviewing people, in doing research upon research upon like research study, that I learned that it doesn't have to be all or nothing, that you can spend wisely, you can spend without guilt on things you value and still cut mercilessly on things that you don't. You just have to figure out how to discern the two. And so that's where I met Jill in my journey, right shortly before we finished paying off our debt. We very much bonded over kind of learning these lessons about frugality. I was more learning. She was more... She's already like naturally frugal. And so I was just learning. And when we started the podcast, maybe a year later, that's what I started with the goal in mind is to help people pay off debt. And as I learned on my journey, the mission has just transformed to be this one of teaching people that money is not the thing you want numbers on the screen, dollars in your wallet. That's not the thing you want. The thing you want is what money can't buy, but money can help you get those things more easily. So how do we take care of this so you can take care of that? 
It's so interesting, right? In your journey, it's almost like you did, you did a 180, but like twice. Like you, yeah. at first, your now husband was like, let's pay off our debts. You're like, no, I'm good. Like, you know, like enjoying mm-hmm. my life over here. And then you decided, okay, I'll get with it. And, you know, we'll pay off our debts. We'll make some sacrifices. And then the pendulum swung all the way to the other side. Mm-hmm. And you developed, it sounds like, the skill around money, maybe an unhealthy relationship with money. But then you were able to get yourself out of that through all this writing and educating and helping other people. And now eventually, and now the podcast. And so I think... I mean, it sounds like that journey of self-discovery that you had on your own probably contributes a lot to why people resonate so well with the two of you and your podcast. We've definitely been on different journeys, but between the two of us have experienced so many like diverse like situations that you can experience like so many diverse emotions that you can go through when trying to get out of like the paycheck to paycheck cycle and then break even and then build wealth and then figure out everything else that comes around it too. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Maybe Jill, we'll start with you. What is frugality? Now that you've had all these conversations and talked to lots of people about it, what is your understanding and your definition of frugality? And what does it sort of get you? And what's that ultimate goal that frugality is trying to help people get to? I love this question. And of course, you could ask many people and there'd be many different definitions. But for Jen and I, it's being wise stewards of all of our resources. So time, money, energy, capacity, relationships, all of it, whatever it is that we have available to us in our resource and stewarding that well. And that's why our podcast and some of the things that we often talk about, which I'm sure is similar for you all, it's not just the money. It's not just the budgeting. It's how do we manage and steward well the time that we have, which is really our actual only infinite resource, as well as the food that we have in our fridge, the money that we have in our wallets, the people that we have in our lives. How can we manage and steward this well. And in that way, it's very much a departure from this kind of idea of cheapness or maybe depression era way of approaching money and resources. And, And that was needed for a time, right, during the depression. But it's not washing out plastic bags for the sake of washing out plastic bags and reusing them, but finding a life that is meaningful and purposeful for us, not just what is being sold to us on social media, in marketing, by friends, you name it, but really getting to the core of what do I value and how can I engage with the resources around me in a way that's congruent with my values and what I want to see for myself now and in the future. Mm, I love that you included. It's not just about money, but it's about being a good steward of all these different resources. I've never really thought about frugality like that. I really like that viewpoint of it because you're right. It's about thinking about all these different resources, time. So many people undervalue their time. They don't think about time the same way that they think about money. And I'm sure Julie got a little chuckle over there about washing out the plastic bags because I remember, (laughs) was it your grandmother that rinsed out the cellophane, the plastic wrap? Saran wrap. Oh yeah, we have like a little, 
saran wrap and foil and we had like a little dish station where you had to go there first to get your saran wrap and your foil and if she saw you heading to the cabinet to get the new one she would ask like is there no more foil over there like that's that's how how serious it's funny because that a little bit of that still lives on in me today and just the other week was giving my cousin a hard time about he was like can i get this plastic bag i'm like how many do you need like, why are we using so many <laughs> plastic bags? And like, my kids are, my kids know too. So it's now ingrained in them because they're like, no, we can't, we only used it once. We can't throw that bag away. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's so funny because obviously in real estate, you make a decent amount of money, but yet you're like hemming and hawing over like throwing a plastic bag away, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. like, or like, do I spend $5 bowl of noodles or whatever? But anyway. Yeah. Now, yeah now we might wash the plastic bag out to steward our natural resources well versus our monetary resources. And we could just get reusable bags, but I still (laughs) use the plastic bags. And sometimes I will rinse them out if they're okay. It just had like some bread in it. Yeah, 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 totally doable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, Jen, tell us about if with that frame of frugality in mind, if somebody listening to this is like, oh, man, I love that. And I want to become more frugal or introduce more frugality into my life, into my family's life. How do you recommend that? Where do people start? start? Do they start with their money? Do they start with budgeting? Do they start with time? What do you recommend? Well, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have already started with their money. So you're kind of already familiar with one area where you can be frugal. But like remembering that frugality is not a race to the bottom. And I think that's why some people, when we become successful with money, go the opposite way because we equate frugality with our college days or just starting out days when we really didn't have any money to spend. And we thought that was frugality, but really that was just not having any money. That was not a frugal lifestyle by choice. So when we live like a frugal lifestyle by choice, it's still being cognizant of, am I spending on the things that I value versus what social media or family or friends or colleagues are maybe telling me I should value? So learning how to discern those two can really make sure you can spend on whatever you want and as much as you want on it if you have the money, but just make sure it's really what you want. And then that will just naturally bleed over into the other areas of your life. You can be frugal. So your physical space, if you're not buying as many things, then your home and your office and your car will be less cluttered. And so you can be a good steward of your physical space. And then that bleeds over into being conscious of your schedule and your time and your energy, making sure that you are treating yourself well and doing self-care, not just in the ways that cost money, but being able to take care of yourself in the ways that don't cost money as well, which can be even more life-giving. But yeah, as you start to pay attention to the things you spend money on, it just naturally starts to bleed over. So I think especially for this audience where money might be easier to start with, it's a great place to start and then to pay attention to the repercussions of the conscious consumerism. I love that you mentioned bringing in that awareness piece, that consciousness piece, because I think so many people just, they have their habits 
or they have their, you know, the things that they spend on and that's what they do, right? Or it's same mm-hmm. with time. And, but just as a first step, just introducing that conscious awareness into the equation and just starting to think about, okay, what are my values around time? around money? And are the decisions that I'm making aligning with those values that are true to me? Now, I want to follow that up with a question around, because you mentioned that earlier on when you were trying to pay off your debt, you got to a point where you felt bad even spending the money that you had budgeted. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. that there are listeners out there who are saying, oh my gosh, that's me. I've invested in all this real estate. I have this passive income coming in. I know I have this money. I've built this wealth, but still maybe I feel bad when I spend money or I feel bad when I've, even when I've budgeted this money, I have this guilt. So Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about how you got through that and what your relationship with money is now. Yeah. I mean, I feel that still today sometimes. It is just something that when... I mean, I love spending money, but I just love money in general. I love seeing the numbers on the screen. Like I love it when those we get in the five digits, we get in the six figures. You know, I love it. So it's hard. Usually that money should have a purpose, right? We're not saving just for the sake of like having numbers on a screen. So that would be the first step is to think, okay, why am I saving the money? Am I saving? What's the purpose of having this passive income? Why did I work so hard for it? And kind of like looking at ourselves and being like, okay, what do I want to do with this? What my life is not just about creating passive income. What is it really about? What do I want people to say about me after I'm dead and gone? And then thinking about what you value. So we have a kind of a spending plan that has all your foundations and your savings and your investments. And then just one big field for guilt-free values-based spending. It's not broken up into different, like I get this much for clothing, this much for coffee. We're not breaking it down to 30, 100 different categories. Guilt-free values-based spending. So we make as much of an effort to make sure all of our discretionary spending aligns with what truly matters to us. And that if it doesn't, we try not to spend on it as much as possible. So for me, like I love a good latte at a place where I didn't have to make it. I love that. And so, (laughs) right. And so I spend on those things without guilt and they're small. They're small in the scope of things because I've already figured out how to make the right decisions on the big things. But There are some things I don't care about. Like, I'm not a foodie. I don't go out to really nice restaurants and do sit down table service. If I get food out, it's going to be takeout. I also have a three year old. So it's like almost impossible to go to a sit down restaurant, anyways. So it's not even fun anymore. So that's something I don't value. So that's something I don't spend money on. So I take the money that I would have spent on that when I thought I valued it and I just spend it on the things I do. And so I don't feel bad about spending on the things I love because I know I'm saying no to the things I don't value. 
This is a muscle to be exercised, I think. Like Jen's saying, I can empathize as well that I'm still not at this place where any time I spend, I feel great about and I I feel complete permission. But I Mm -hmm. have grown in it and it is directly linked to my knowledge of my values and aligning that with my spending. It's interesting when it comes to frugality, we can find ourselves at different places on the spectrum. And sometimes even for Jen and I, depending on who we're talking to, we will say frugality teaches you how to save or we'll say frugality teaches you how to spend. It does do both. We Mm -hmm. can do both with this. And so sometimes for us, we find ourselves in that one camp of how do I give myself the permission to be able to spend? And it does have to do with the legwork, the pre-work ahead of time. What are my values? For me, it's different from Jen. My top values are beauty, generosity, community, and linking the things that I do in my life to those and when it comes to discretionary spending. So I can feel greater degrees of freedom spending on travel when I know that this is connected to my value of beauty and I'm traveling someplace to hike and see nature or I'm traveling to see family, which directly links to really everyone's core value of family and friends, but also that community aspect. So we can grow that muscle, become better and better at the permission to spend if that's an area that we really struggle with, but it's not going to happen overnight. We'll get back to our conversation with Jen and Jill in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong experienced teams and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations. And as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Jen Smith and Jill Siriani. I feel like this is such an interesting thing, an exercise that everyone listening should sit down and do is make a list almost to like what asking yourself, like really, what are your values so that 
you can create this budget, so to speak, that's not based on your wants, but based on your values, like what you guys are mm-hmm. talking about. And Jen, you said something earlier that money is not the thing that you want. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately, like what does money mean? And why do so many people chase the dollar, the number, right? Like so many people are so focused around that. When what you said was the thing that you want is the thing that money can't buy, which is so like, I love that because that's so true, right? Like we were Mm -hmm. just talking about this the other day, like the things that, that move us and the things that excite us in our business is not the money. It's not the money. It's the impact. It's the feeling that we get. And you can't go to, if you want to feel good, like we were just talking about this on our podcast yesterday about like the feeling you can't go to Safeway or to the drugstore or whatever, and buy that feeling of what it feels like to give. Right. And it's just such an amazing thing. And I think that this is an exercise I'm certainly going to do is sit down and think about like, what are my values? And then how do I create a budget that's based around that? Because mm-hmm. I think that that's so powerful. But so I want to ask you, Jill, like when you think about that, the thing that you want is the thing that money can't buy. When you think about like mental health and you think about finances and you think about the decisions that people are making based on where they're at in, in terms of mental health, how do you connect all of that? And if somebody is feeling anxious, then they make one decision. If they're feeling sad, then they make another decision when it comes to money. How do you? advise around sort of what to do with these feelings and how not to make these sort of spending decisions based on a feeling or an emotion or a mental state? How do you think about that? What a great question. And it's a massive question. I'll do my best to kind of break it down. But as I said earlier, what you're going to hear out of me so much is our whole personhood, that we are spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, relational, financial people. We don't live in a vacuum or on an island. We're not disjointed, although sometimes we can feel that way. And each area of our personhood is going to impact the other. And I'm going to avoid this concept of balance. I know a lot of people love to talk about it, but I more so would encourage myself and others to look at what are my needs, what needs attention, and how can I care for myself well and hold that intention. Kind of the idea of tension over balance is a little almost like 10 stakes pulling against one another. And in what area of my personhood am I experiencing the most acute need and how do I respond to that need? Oftentimes this can be one of the biggest pitfalls that we all make is just running to whatever we think is going to help us. Like I'm feeling exhausted. And so, okay, what's the last thing I did when I was exhausted? I slept and then we take a nap and that didn't, that didn't fix it. We really need to try and hit the target of where the need is. And so being able to practice curiosity with ourselves of what's happening inside of me, what is this feeling, emotion, behavior pointing to? What came just before this? Which aspect of myself might this be triggering or identifying that I need to respond to this? So we may feel exhausted, but it might have to do with 
a relational interaction that we just had. And what's going to be life-giving to us now is talking with a trusted friend. It could be a nap. It could be reading a good book. It could be getting ourselves out in the sunshine. All of that is going to be answered by the curiosity rather than the just jumping to conclusions. And so when this comes into play with financial decisions, a lot of times impulse spending does happen because of some emotional relational trigger that happened. And so before we jump to shame towards ourselves or condemnation towards ourselves, one thing that Jen and I really like to encourage people towards is let's practice curiosity before you cast those judgments. What's happening? What does this show you about your need in this moment? Why did you run to that thing? What does that provide? Chances are it provides something. We don't just do things willy-nilly. We're trying to care for ourselves, but is there a better way that I could respond to this need that I'm actually going to feel good about and is going to bring care into place. We will become the better versions of ourselves if we're able to practice curiosity, pause, and show kindness towards ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting when you think about these topics that we're talking about. At the end of the day, basically what we're saying is we need to get to know ourselves. And I feel like so many people don't, including myself, like don't take the time. Like we're should be our best friend. Like we spend the most amount of time with ourselves and yet Mm -hmm. we don't, we're not patient with ourselves to ask these questions. Like what are our values? What getting curious, like you said, that's such a good point. My husband and I were just talking about this yesterday is like, you need to stop and ask questions about like, why am I feeling this way? So that you then know the decision to make to to best help yourself. Such a great exercise, I think for everyone listening, because I think that if you go through this exercise, that you'll be able to live a more fulfilled life. And one that I think so many people out there who make a ton of money, Tony Robbins always talks about this, right? He talks about the art of fulfillment. Like 99% of people out there who are really successful aren't fulfilled. And why? Because they're so focused on chasing the dollar and chasing being successful, but not chasing their values and chasing what's meaningful and important to them. Because most of us never really take the time to find out what really matters to us and imagine the life that we could create if we create this curiosity and find the answers to these questions and then use our dollars that we have, our discretionary spending to address those values and address those those things that were kind of important to us instead of randomly spending, okay, I've got a budget to spend for, you know, on clothes or things that don't really move us and inspire us and light us up. And what an amazing life you could live if you just take some time to figure out what the values and all of these things are. So I love this conversation. I think it's something that a lot of our audience could probably use in terms of like, hey, let's rethink the way we're thinking about money and the way we're thinking about investing. And then the goal of like, why are we investing? A lot of times we talk about investing as a means to get time back, but then we're left with like, okay, now we have all this time. What do we do? And I don't think a lot of people know. So I love the direction of all of this. I think the last question I want to ask before we move on is around how has frugality evolved for both of you? And this is a question both of you or one of you can answer, but how has it evolved for you? And do you see it staying the same? Like, is this, do you see it kind of evolving as time goes on in terms of how you define frugality? And what do you see kind of like down the road? Is it always going to be defined as the way you have it now or will it be different? Such an interesting question because I actually think about this a lot because when we started, my definition of frugality from when we started the Frugal Friends podcast 
has evolved as a direct result of hosting a frugal living podcast. So absolutely, I guess, did not start out as a frugal living expert, but now feel like I am. And I feel like I always have more to learn as well. So I think it can evolve. But I really started it with the idea that I learned frugality while I was paying off my debt. I learned the difference between being frugal and being cheap. And I wanted to give that lesson to other people, like to help them learn the lessons that I had. And over time, I've learned so much about my own journey that we've continued to share over the years that I think has really refined. It was actually Wikipedia that helped us really nail down the definition. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was really over 150, 200 episodes about frugality that helped us nail down like what we really truly believe it to be. And sure, in maybe 200 more episodes, it could evolve further. We'll see. Never say never. I would agree. I think, and that's life. We are not the same people that we were four, five, 10 years ago. And I don't anticipate, hopefully, we're not the same people in four, five, 10 years from now. And similarly, I can say when I began this podcast and even before that, my adult journey with money, I had a much different mentality. I'm grateful for the growth that I've experienced because I definitely took on a scarcity mindset very much the race to the bottom. I wore low income, almost like a badge of honor, and not really realizing how much that was actually keeping me, holding me back from seeing more growth and influence in my own life and the influence that I could have on others. So this journey has taught me that it can be a choice. Frugality in some ways chose me as like it was necessary for me, but coming to realize, oh, wow, frugality can be a lifestyle regardless of where we're at in our earning, what we do for work or our finances. It really is a lifestyle that I desire in being a good steward of what I have. And it doesn't mean that I have to stay in this lower income bracket to take on the title of being a frugal person. I can be wise with all of my resources, no matter how much I'm making. And so that definition, that freedom, that permission that that creates. I hope that never goes away. I do hope that the thread of individualism, freedom, and permission continues within the way that we understand frugality. But absolutely, I'm open to kind of new definitions and understandings and perspectives. Yeah, I think that so much of what you guys are talking about is what we talk about often on the show is about living an intentional life that is one that is not careless is one that with your money, with your time, with who you're spending your time with, with what you're involving yourself in, in terms of work and just being like really intentional about all of that. And, and it's nothing is done without thought. And I know both Annie and I live by that, that everything that we do, every decision we make has some level of of intention behind why we're doing it that leads to something else. So all of this resonates so much with me. I think the last question I want to ask you guys is what drew you to each other. I'm always curious whenever I see girl partnerships, Annie and I have our own story of what kind of drew us together and what makes us work. What was that for you guys? Oh, she's a dime piece. 
<laughs> Look at her. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the one with the mermaid hair. This girl, <laughs> luscious just because I won't, just because I refuse to cut it. I love it though. So I actually met Jill's husband one time at a party in San Diego in 2009, and never spoke to him again. But we did become <laughs> Facebook friends. And then fast forward to 2017 and Jill and her husband, Eric, are living in an RV and they decide to take that RV on a road trip for a few weeks and they make their way down to St. Pete, Florida, where I live. And Eric was like on Facebook, do I know like anybody in the area want to hang out? Not talking to me at all. Well, I was not his target audience, but nobody responded to the post. So I invited them to hang out with our friends for a night. And Jill was skeptical. She did not want to hang out with strangers on her vacation, but she took a chance. (laughs) She took a chance and came out and we just connected between me and my husband and her and Eric, the four of us just like connected really quickly talking about money and debt payoff and finances and frugality. So we just became really close really quickly and visited each each other multiple times until Eric was like, you guys should start a podcast. And I said, no, but I I said, I'm a writer. (laughs) I don't do podcasts, but if I ever did, it'd be called frugal friends because I love alliteration. Uh-huh. And that's, yeah, she sold me on that one. You know, Julie, it's interesting. We tell our meeting story very often, but the way that you ask the question is unique. I don't think that we've really dissected much what exactly drew us to each other. And right. I love that. I'm going to have to give that, I'm going to have to ponder that a little bit more. Yeah. But at first glance, I think, Jen, there's some things that are intangible, right? Like, why do you become good friends with the people you become good friends with? There's some sort of connection that can happen that in some ways, I don't know if we could totally describe it. But also, I think we did see and continue to see a nice compliment of one another. I really admired in Jen, her research capabilities and her capacity and tenacity and her just overall abilities to kind of anything you throw at her, she's able to tackle it. And I think there was something about her that like, I want to do projects with her for sure. (laughs) And I think both of us are threes on the Enneagram in different ways. So I think that achieving side, but also done in a different manner, realizing and having esteem for one another's perspectives and ways of going about things and kind of seeing, I think Jen has a lot of things that I don't have. And I think vice versa for both Mm -hmm. of us. So just a really amazing partnership and ultimately just good friendship. I think she's hilarious. I enjoy talking with her. I want to learn more. She's someone who helps teach me more. So it wasn't a hard sell to say, hey, talk with this person weekly, make a podcast together. It's like, oh, I get to hang out with a friend and do something. It's like my perfect friendship, I think. It is Mm -hmm. interesting. Like, the chemistry between like hosts of a show or business partners, there's no formula for it. Yeah. Like sometimes <laughs> they can be friends beforehand. Sometimes they're better off not as friends. And 
Jill and I are friends outside the show. We prefer to be friends even more than we prefer to be business partners. So I think we have that going for us, but also the fact that we're both very committed to the things we put our hands to and we want to see them executed well. And yeah, Jill brings the human side of the show and is always asking questions of our guests and putting forth perspectives that are very empathetic and we're just like a perfect complement to each other. And if you'd asked me if we would be that when we started, I would not have been able to tell you. I wouldn't know. And then yeah. the more we've done the show together, just the more like we've learned that like this is a treasure. This is a rare treasure that we have. Yeah. It's so funny. I know Annie's sitting there nodding her head and laughing and smiling because yeah, this is like in the last four and a half years of like discussions that Annie and I have had and just feeling so blessed and grateful to have each other. And I think the thing that both of you said that is exactly brought Annie and I together as the complementary skill sets. Lots of other things that you said, the getting along, the friendship and all of that, a hundred percent. But the complementary skill sets, that was, I think, the first thing that kind of drew us was like, wow, you have these skills that are so valuable in my mind that I don't have and vice versa, that mutual respect for the value that each of us um, brought to the table. So for anybody listening out there who might be looking for a partner, whether it's you want to start a podcast or you want to start a business with somebody really starting with that complementary skill set, do we have that first? And then mm-hmm. deep diving and asking, is there some kind of synergy and chemistry between the two of you to see if there could be some other kind of longstanding partnership there in some form or fashion? So I love that. It's an interesting thing to think about what drew you to each other, because I think when you discover that a little bit more, you can really sort of hone in on that and maybe foster it some more to, to do more and more and bigger things. You never know. There might be like, I don't know, the frugal friends, like minivan that grows cross country or something and like, I don't know, sells some crazy mm. thing. I don't know. Some crazy idea in my head. We could wrap <laughs> a van. Sure. There you go. Great summary. Love this brainstorming. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, this has been so fun. I already know what my to-do list is after this podcast. I need to sit down and really think about my values, get curious and think about what my values are, what my needs are. That's really focused on fulfillment and remembering that the thing that I want is the thing that money can't buy. That's just going to stick with me for a little bit, Jen. So I love that. All right. Well, we're going to move into the last part of our show. It's the Life and Money Show Spotlight Round, where we're going to ask you both questions. You guys can choose to both answer the question or one of you, it doesn't matter. But the first question that we're going to ask you is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design. And I think that's probably pretty easy for both of you. It ties back to everything that you're doing with Google friends and the lifestyle. But if there was maybe one thing, what would you say it was? For me, it has been like simplifying my business, being able to like simplify the revenue stream so that I can actually enjoy the money I'm making instead of feeling like I'm running 12 different businesses and have no physical or mental energy to live my life. Oh, yeah. We know that one real well. That's been a big (laughs) focus for us over the last year. And we're getting there. It's not easy. It's always a process. It's like you get into the business and you're like gung-ho. You're like, we're going to do all these things. And then 
And then you start doing like two of those things and it's like, oh my gosh, like what did we get ourselves into? And now you have this like huge responsibility and this big business that you built. So I love that. All right. Second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that'll make an impact in others' lives right now? Which is a funny question because I feel like we didn't even really talk about that. And I thought we were going to talk about like couponing and like the best way to like, we've had guests on the show where we've talked about this, like credit card points and all these things. Mm -hmm. We never once talked about any of that. Right. Which I think is so interesting that there's, you guys have a podcast, Google friends, and we didn't talk about any of that. But if there was one life or money hack, what would it be? This is going to be a little bit of an intangible one as well, but yet I think does make the biggest shift is considering our mindset, looking at what is our belief and approach to money and how is that impacting our current lifestyle and potentially future. I don't think that we can really see big dents in our life experiences. We can implement tips, sure, that's going to take a minute, but we're not going to see the massive strides that we want to see until we look at mindset. Some of that sitting down, like you've already described and thinking through, what are my behaviors? What do they show me about my values? What do I think about money? What was I taught about money? What do I want my future to look like, my relationship with money? Those mindset pieces are going to be, I think, the biggest thing we can look at. Okay. So I have to ask this question. Have you guys written a book yet? <laughs> TBD. No? Okay. TBD. Oh, okay. Okay. Because <laughs> like, I would totally buy that book, Jill, if you could make a book for me. Cause I'm like, okay, I'd love to think about my mindset. Like it's not something I'm going to sit down and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I get to the answer. So if you could write a book, and talk about all of that, the mindset stuff and how that's impacting. All right, Julie, okay. just for you, yeah. we'll yeah, do okay. it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I'll be the first one in line. Force us into. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you guys are doing right now to make the world a better place? I feel like Jill's better at answering this. <laughs> Jill's such a giver. So good at it. Well, we've not arrived. Just like everyone else, we're trying mm -hmm. to figure out how can we care for ourselves and give back. Honestly, I think at this point, I would say the podcast. I think bringing our research, our experiences, people on the show, highlighting our community, it's been quite amazing and quite a privilege to hear from folks, wow, this is making a significant change in their lives, in their marriages, in their relationships with their kids for their future, for their retirement. So giving back this podcast, some of the free resources that we provide, I know you both, Annie and Julie are doing the same. So it's quite rewarding as well. There's reciprocity to it for sure. It's not completely altruistic, but I think the podcast <laughs> is giving to the community around us. For yeah. sure. It comes full circle to what you were talking about with regard to how to think about frugality, right? It's not just about money. And same with making the world a better place. It's not all about money or giving financially. It's about giving of your time or seeing how you can help even one other person, right? And definitely through the podcast, through over 200 conversations that you've had and really weaving yourself into the financial community and people's families 
families and relationships and the conversations that they're having, that makes a huge impact. And so with all of that, I know our listeners are going to want to follow up, learn more about all that you've shared today. So tell them what's the best place that they can go. Yeah. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can also search for Frugal Friends and we release episodes every Tuesday and Friday. If you are interested in the tips that you did not get today, we actually do have an ebook with over 200 frugal living tips and people can get that at frugalfriendspodcast.com slash ebook. And that's free. I know Julie's chomping at the bit. Go get that ebook, Julie. (laughs) (laughs) She's getting it right now. Jen Smith and Jill I'm running over there right now. I'm like frugal friends, you know, they, download the podcast. But this has been so fun, you guys. Yes. It's such an interesting way to think about living life. One that implement it for a period of time, see what kind of impact it makes. So it's been fun. Mm-hmm. Jen Smith Likewise. and Jill Siriani, co-hosts of the Frugal Friends podcast. Ladies, thank you so much for being here with us and our listeners and sharing all of your insights and wisdom with us today. It's an honor. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thank you so much for having us. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 